Hey, you guys, I want to tell you about an organization that is very dear to us. Hope Heals Camp is a truly unique offering in the world. Just this summer, Kurt had this great opportunity to attend one of the camps. I'd love to hear you tell us about that, Kurt. Thanks, Beth. You're right. I had the chance to attend Hope Heals Camp, as you can see from my T-shirt, an opportunity to spend time with the organization founded by our friends Jay and Catherine Wolf. And the Hope Heals Camp creates an opportunity for adults and children alike, people with disabilities, to come to a space where they can be cared for and be nurtured and nourished. And where I also discovered not only that I had the chance to be healed in certain ways, but that we discover that we all have disabilities. It's just that some of us, uh, it's more visible than for others. And so I was just really excited and humbled by being able to be part of this and really love that we're having the opportunity to support and to promote this camp. There is no other space in existence today like Hope Heals Camp. And we have a great opportunity to support this amazing organization. We can help scholarship families with disabilities to come to camp for free through a tax-deductible donation. Every donation makes a difference, and $1,500 allows a family of four to attend for the entire week. Go to hopeheals.com forward slash donate. That's hopeheals, H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash donate and join us in giving to this great organization. Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. My friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. And if you are not watching us on YouTube right now, I say run, don't walk, so you can see Kurt's fashion today. (laughs) This shirt is incredible. I like it. I mean... Well, thanks. Yeah, you upped your game. (laughs) Uh, What what can I say? Well, look at at what I'm looking at. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm inspired. I don't know what is these that a le- things is that, are. Is that a leopard shirt you got on? A what no, shirt? No, what is that? It looks like... Oh, is that a leopard I, shirt? Wait. No, what is that like... Look like flowers? I guess they're... They, they're yeah. Like clovers or flowers or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's very cool. I don't know. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. That's very cool. It's a yeah, uh, great on. way to start a podcast is talking about fashion and the clothes that we're wearing. People must be riveted yeah. right now. They, but they, they... I mean, they're calling their friends. Like, so, you gotta... Listen to this. It's riveting. (laughs) (laughs) So we are here uh, in episode 10 of season five of the Being Known podcast. And this season, we have been going through Kurt's second book, The Soul of Shame. And we are coming to the end of the book today. We are in chapter nine, the final chapter of the book. And the chapter is entitled Renewing Vocational Creativity. Kurt, this has been a, a great season. I just, you know, I, I loved this book when I read it the first time, but I I feel like I've gotten so much more out of it by being able to have these conversations with you. And I'm I'm hopeful that our listeners are having the same experience. Um, because the the conversation that we're having, which just sort of brings the the chapters even more to life, and then you've created these applications for people to integrate it integrate this work into their lives. Uh, it's just been fabulous. Thanks for all the work mm. you've done this season. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's been it's been great to revisit this book that uh, has, I guess now, six years it's been out, I think. Wow. Yeah, six, seven years, 2015. I guess 2015, so almost so seven years it's been out. And, you know, apparently it continues to appeal to folks, and I think they're finding it to be helpful. And we, we continue to hear from our listeners that the – the podcast, the conversations that we're having, 
just add for that much more animation and that much more well, kind of practical application uh, right. for the work that we're talking about. So yeah. it's been a ton of fun to have a conversation with you about this going forward. It's just it's just been great. So yeah, thanks. Yeah. So set us up. Let's talk about Henry. So in this this last chapter, we're, we're again, I think we're we're trying to you know. We, We've said from the beginning that you know we're, we're talking about shame, but shame is embedded in the larger story, and and the story that uh, that God intended for us was that we were intended to be co-creators, co-cultivators, co-steward. We were to steward on His behalf on the earth, the, the earth. We were to steward the earth that God has put before us. So, and that that includes all kinds of things that we do. We uh, garden, we teach, we act, we treat patients, we, you know, we steward the law, we make furniture, we dig ditches, we pick up trash, we do all these different things that we're doing as a way to steward the world. And evil's intention is not just to make us feel bad. We've said this over and over. It's not just to make us feel bad using shame. It is intended to disrupt and devour the intended God's intended mission for this to be a place of cultivated beauty and goodness, and we do that through the work that we do. And Henry was a guy who uh, his intention, his hope was to do work in the field of finance, and such that he could, you know, he was working in a company where he that was, you know, you know, it had its purpose of working with people who were investing lots of money, but he also wanted to be able to do microfinance and, and working with people who were, you know, not as uh, well off, but to be able to like steward that really well. But he worked in a in a division where his boss was uh, really kind of always cracking the whip in terms of what the numbers look like. And as much as it was well intended to try to get this division to do and perform and so forth and so on, Henry was really, uh, it, it's really difficult to be in this system where your boss is always kind of keeping a ledger of like what, what you're doing. And are you doing it well enough? And comparing you to other people and so forth and so on. And, you know, people come into our office for all, you know, with with all kinds of of complaints about what they're experiencing psychiatrically. And when Henry came in, you know, he doesn't come in and say, I think I'm in a shame-filled system. You know, his system where he was working that was taking up most of his waking space and hours, just like in our last episode, we talked about how school takes up most of our waking hours in the first couple of decades of our lives. He doesn't come in to say, I think I'm in a system that's, you know, off kilter. He's coming in to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm having these symptoms personally without being aware of the toll that the system was taking on him, without being aware that what he was experiencing internally was mirrored in and through the system that he was operating in. And so part of our work was to invite him to be curious about not just his personal experience internally with his symptoms, but also how is that a reflection of the system that he's, that, you know, that he's occupying where he's embedded, but that also embeds him. It also squeezes it, squeezes him, attempts to squeeze him into its mold. And this brings us to this question of what we are called to do this. We get back to this notion of vocare, the, 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 evoke, the, 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 the vocal call that we are called. And my friend Andy Crouch has a really beautiful way of, of naming this. You know, we, 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 you know, we, we often, it, this, this language is talked about in all kinds of settings. It doesn't even have to be within 
settings that are necessarily faith-based. There are lots of people who say, well, I have, a, I have a calling to be an artist. I have a calling to, you know, run this nonprofit. And these may be people that have no sense of God even being in the picture, but they have this felt internal sense of like, this is what I was made to do. And, and we, this, this, we, but we use the words, it's interesting. We use the word calling. Even if you're not a Christian, people will use this word calling because there is this, uh, we can't get away from it. We love the notion that this thing that I'm doing, that I want to do, I have been asked by somebody else. I'm called by somebody else. I can't help but want to be doing this at the behest of somebody who sees this vision for me, wherein where in which I'm not doing it by myself. But we can say, I'm called to be a psychiatrist. I'm called to be an actor. And Andy would say, well, actually... We're not actually sp- specifically called to be a psychiatrist or a fireman or a, you know, or a teacher. Or this. We're, we're called to do two things in the world. And he would say that we are called to bear the image of God and we are called to restore the image of God wherever and whenever in whatever domain that we occupy. That we are always in the business of being called to bear and restore the image of God. Because, you know, if, if something were to happen to me and I was no longer able to be a psychiatrist, would that mean that somehow because that got cut off, I was no longer, like my calling, I, I don't have my calling. And no, no, I'm still now. I mean, if I were to have a stroke that would keep me from being able to do my work, I would still be called to bear and restore the image of God to the degree that I was able, no matter what my circumstance was. And so every act in life, including the ones that we act in where we get paid, every act in life has the potential for us to create and steward beauty and goodness. And so even Henry, like his, his longing was to create beauty and goodness in, in, the, in these kinds of ways. And then as we like to say, evil will match us toe to toe with shame. You're smiling at something. No, I'm just uh, something. L- listening. No, no, Con- continue, please. Yeah, and, and, and so, I mean, like, as we like to say, right, evil does its best work in the middle of good work being done. It waits mm-hmm. for us to start down the path of creating things. Like Henry wanted to start down this path of eventually creating work for others. I mean, creating opportunities for others. And it was just so difficult in this particular system until he was able to make changes that would give him, put him in a different space. And so then the question becomes, what do we do about the systems that we are in? Because sometimes the systems are not going to change. They have no intention of changing. We would say this is the way that the principalities and powers of the world that really do exist, right? We, we think that those things are just, you know, make-believe, you know, stuff made up by ancient writers who didn't know what we know now because of all of our brilliance and science and so forth and so on. We would say, like, that's just, like our brilliance and science has no idea what it's up against. Like, it almost makes me want to say a bad word. Like, we have no idea what we're up against. But evil would love nothing more than for us to think that we're not up against anything. And Henry was up against it. And so what we see then when we ask the question, what are we to do? We see that the Bible has models for us in the same way that earlier when we talked about the development of a healing cloud of witnesses, right? The Bible gives us a model first and foremost in Jesus. Jesus is the North Star for all these things and what he does with the community that he surrounds himself with. Notice, they weren't superstars, right? They were fishermen, they were peasants, they were 
you know, we got a tax collector, and you know, he's wealthy, but he's hated. So, like, just for good measure, like, you know, it's like we're we're going to bring people in who've got means, but we're not going to like them very much. So, like, he's collecting all kinds, and he you know invites one guy in who's like like you know throws him under the bus at the end of the, you know, not not like he was you know Judas wasn't alone in that. I mean, Peter did too. We talk about that forever and a day, but the point is, is that Jesus is the North Star with all this, about how do we then imagine ourselves being outposts of goodness and beauty, where we, in which we can then, in our places, the, the, the domains that we occupy, whether we're parenting, whether we're working in a bakery, but especially when we are in positions of some kind of authority, and by that, you don't have to own the bakery, but you have authority over the moment that you occupy when you're dealing with a customer. Like you're the author of this moment. You are co-authoring this moment with God. That customer walks in, you don't know where they're, you don't know where they're coming from in terms of their life, so forth. But in that moment, the kingdom of heaven is intersecting with the kingdom of this earth, and Jesus wants to own it. Jesus wants to. Stuart, Jesus wants to, and like through you, he wants to be king over this moment. And so we step up to the counter, invite the customer, and we're already going to be curious about how is God going to create beauty and goodness in this moment. And we might think, well, come on, Kurt, that's just like, like, is it really that big of a deal? Like, look, all of life is an accumulation of small interactions at the counter at the bakery. Mm. That's what life is. Russia didn't just wake up one day and decide they were going to invade Ukraine. It's an accumulation of hundreds of thousands of small moments of wounding and trauma, of shame being on the loose. Collectively, by the time it gets... By, by the time the Russian tanks enter Ukraine, by the time, by any, any violence, right? By the time any of this happens, most of the moments of deciding about that have long been in our rearview mirror. We don't even know how we got here. We just wanted to let you know about something that's going to be happening on October 28th, which is a Friday. It is the second annual Center for Being Known Connections Conference. You want to talk a little bit about that for us, Kurt? Yeah, thanks, Pep. We're really excited. Some of our listeners may be familiar with the Connections Conference that we had last year. And this year, it is going to be a one-day event, Friday, October 28th, as you mentioned. And the purpose of the Center for Being Known is to serve as a clearinghouse, but also to develop an association of those folks who are really interested in pursuing more about what it means for us to not just learn about what we're doing at the interface of interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation, but how we apply this in our day-to-day lives. Mm. And in particular, how we apply this work in particular domains of our lives, whether we are working in business or education or in the arts or in the mental health field, or whatever it is that we're doing. If if we're working in farming, whatever it is that we're doing, we really want to invite people to be curious about what is God up to using this work that he's given us to do, and how does that enable us to flourish in particular ways in those particular domains. And so the conference 
is offering four really, really seasoned speakers, people who know their craft and who know their worlds, four speakers, one in business, one in education, one in spiritual formation, one in the mental health field, that are all going to help us dig deeper into what it means for us to apply these principles in their particular domains and also help spark imagination for everyone else who comes uh, to do the same, no matter what that domain is that they long to see God do more work in. I'm really excited for this this year. You know, last year we did just a virtual event, and this Mm -hmm. year we are doing a hybrid event where you can actually come to the event, be there in person with us, and if you aren't able to make the trip, wherever you are, there is a virtual option as well. Go to the CBK org to register and get all the information. Um, I will actually be there. I'll be emceeing the event this year, which I have. Dude, you know, okay, okay. I have I'm, no I'm, idea I'm, why. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm anybody... chomping at the bit to say, like, yes, like you're the reason people should come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just I have t- had let's so many this... people ask the question. <laughs> I've had so many people ask the question. So, Kurt, what's the story behind the most beautiful man in the world? And I want to say, come to the CBK conference. And get your answer. Oh, my gosh. And I tell you what, we have decided to do something really different as well. Uh, <laughs> if, if you are coming, if you're in town, uh, then the night before, on the Thursday before, on the 27th, we are going to record a live version of the Being Known podcast. And Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're <laughs> and we're all going to be there. Amy will be there. It's yes. all, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And I... Uh, we're going to hold this uh, at a place called McLean Presbyterian Church. It's going to be a beautiful venue. And, you know, I, I would love for people to come, you know, for the CBK conference, come for our live recording of uh, the podcast. And I, and I would say I would want people to come, certainly uh, come prepared to uh, find joy, mm-hmm. come prepared to find connections with other people, to be nourished. Um, but also during the conference, uh, come prepared to do a little bit of work. Come prepared to, you know, do some some work of, of some rigor because we're going to invite people, to, we're going to in, invite you to uh, let God uh, into spaces that perhaps we've not always even been aware that he wants to come into. But uh, overall, I'm just thrilled at what we've got on the docket for this conference and for the podcast recording. And uh, Pepper, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you're going to be able to emcee this and that we'll get to do the recording the night before. I'll do my best to not ruin the whole event. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about it. So go check it out at the CBK, T-H-E-C-B-K dot org to register. If you've been listening to the Being Known podcast, you know that trauma and its healing are something to which we pay a great deal of attention. So when the women at Hun's Honey reached out to partner with us, it was really just a no-brainer. Hun's Honey is a social enterprise dedicated to creating dignity and purpose for and with women who have survived significant trauma, be that of addiction, trafficking, generational poverty, or abuse. Before being employed at Hun's Honey, these women commit to a holistic healing process through a life development program, free counseling, workshops, and building community. You know, Kurt, recently Amy and I had a great opportunity to tour Hun's Honey, and I really have to tell you that we were both just blown away by the work that they're doing there. 
and the heart that Mandy and Sarah and Jordan have for their women that they serve and the work that they do. We were so impressed with these women who are bravely working to overcome the trauma that they've suffered. And here's how you can help. So Hun's Honey, they sell home body and honey goods, such as sugar scrubs, soap bars, beeswax candles, and raw honey. All of their products are filled with high-quality natural ingredients using locally sourced honey. You know, in fact, they raise their own bees, and they harvest their own honey themselves. And we heard stories about the healing process of working with bees. One of the women uh, had a story that she was saying that but as you approach the bees, before you approach the bees, they could feel any anxiety that you may be having. So you really have hmm. to sort of go through hmm. this meditative, mindful process of, hmm. of calming yourself before you approach the hive, or you're going to get stung, which I thought wow. was just fascinating. Wow. Wow. Living, breathing experience of life-changing work. And 100% of Hun's Honey's profits go to employing women survivors of trauma, 100%. Mm. So, folks, your purchase has a purpose. Mm. It paves the way for women to rebuild their lives in concrete ways. So here's what you can do. You go check it all out. They've got great gifts and everything else there at hunshoney.com. That's H-O-N-S-H-O-N-E-Y dot com. And use the coupon code BEINGKNOWN. That's B-E-I-N-G-K-N-O-W-N for 20% off your order. This is a great gift that has generational impact. That's Hun's Honey. And so we have a model in the scriptures that can help us reimagine this. And this model is in, that I see is in the 12th and 13th chapters of 1 Corinthians. And we're just going to, I mean, we can, you can read the book, but we're not going to go, you know, line by line by line here, but we're going to talk just a little bit about this. And we, we begin with the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians and the 4th through the 11th verses. And we see that in this, in this particular section Paul is talking about the notion of how we have differences in our communities. He begins with the assumption that we have different gifts, we have different things, that are, and, and that part of the challenge is that when we have different gifts, when we read those verses, that God's given different gifts to different people, we, in our culture, we interpret different as being either better or worse. Yeah. And like, I will tell you, like, dude, I am the chief among sinners, I had an experience recently in which I was uh, doing some work with a. I was doing some consulting with a particular group of people, and they they've been they've been really generous and kind, and they uh, and and I'd introduced them to some work to to the work of, of of another of another person, and you know they rightly thought, oh my gosh, maybe we could get that other person to also come in and do some work with us because it would be really helpful, and and truly it would. It would truly, it, it would it, like, and, and, and the reality is the, the part of me that wants them to benefit from that other person and who I know and I, and I, and I admire and love and like, it's just, just, but no, like, what did I feel? Like the part of me that was being, that was feeling like I was being pushed out, mm-hmm. like what? Like, I'm not enough for you. I'm not enough. I'm, I, I'm not enough as a consultant for this. This is what I do right. in my head. 
we don't have just different gifts. We have gifts where apparently now I'm now no longer wanted in this. I mean, this is what my head does. This is who my wife has to live with. This is who my kids have to live. This is what, this, this is what you have to put up with. Like, I, I just, I, like, I'm, like, I'm okay as long as uh, I'm okay until I'm not. And so I, like, the, the whole, the tyranny of comparison. Like, this is what shame does. It has me immediately interpreting different as being better or worse. But Paul's saying, like, no. This, this, is, this is different by design, that this is done with loving kindness, that this is done as a way for us then. And, and then he starts in this comparison of the body. And this is where things get really interesting because there are assumptions made in the Hebrew, Jewish, and Christian tradition, assumptions made in the ancient world about the body that was categorically different from any of the cultures around it. And that is that they considered the body to be a precious temple. That's, that's what... The Romans, the Babylonians, the Persians, like the bodies, bodies were to be used. Bodies were commodities. And if you weren't a citizen, certainly of Rome, or if you weren't a Babylonian, you could use anybody else's body however you pleased. For sex, for slavery, like you could do pretty much whatever you wanted. The body was not held to be that important. And then you take the whole notion of what the Romans did with bodies when they crucified them. They weren't just punishing the victim. It wasn't just, they were using Jesus' body as a way to shame the culture. And Paul turns this whole thing on its head. Where it comes back, he comes back, and we're different parts of a, like he, like, out of the blue, you've got this guy who's using the language of the body to reconfigure our notion of our relationship with God. There's no, there, there, there's no, there's no historical indication that even in, in the Jewish tradition that we have that much close, intimate connection with God. We are God's servants. We are God's creation. We are, we're certainly loved by God, but the notion that we're part of God's body, that we are connected in that kind of an intimate way, completely new to anybody who's reading this. It's an invitation to intimacy like we've never seen before. And then what we see in our modern day, like we see from a language of interpersonal neurobiology, is this sense of like, I've got this linkage of differentiated parts, as we've often talked about. And what Paul is talking about is that this sense of being connected in this way is going to bring us to a place of wholeness, not just as individuals, but as a community. This is what we're intended to do. And I want to suggest to our listeners that every single domain in which we operate, whether it's in our school or our company or wherever it is, it, it, it can be seen in this same light. This is a body in which there are leaders, there are different parts of this, and we are going to be tempted to compare. We are going to be tempted to say they're better or worse. We're going to be tempted to like, I, like, why did I not get enough? Why did I, 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 you know, I should have gotten more of a bonus. I should have got, I, now this is not, this is not speaking about issues of justice. This is not saying that like that these systems don't have problems, but I'm saying like, we're always looking around and saying, just like I, just like I do, like, well, why, why do I, do I not rate now? And Paul's saying, oh, no, no, no. In this body, and of course, remember, like he's writing with chapter 13 in mind. It's coming. He's writing chapter 12 with chapter 13 in his mind about what we get to love and what love is going to, this love is driving this whole, this whole thing. Evil's intention is to disintegrate the whole project in these places of our vocation, in these places where we do our work, not just in the privacy of my mind. And that's what was happening for Henry. 
Henry wasn't just an individual who was in a system. Like, evil wants to use everything that's going on in that system to disintegrate the people and the system as well. Because this is what we're really up against. And the way then Paul structures this whole notion about the body, he takes, you know, 12 through 14, he talks about these different body parts, verses 12 through 14. Verses 15 through 20, we would read that and see how, you know, he says, like, one body part says, well, because I'm not an I, then I don't matter. This is the self-condemnation. This is where it all begins. And then in verses 21 through 26, it's just the opposite. There's the part of this is, well, because you're only a foot, you don't belong. I share my condemnation with you since I have so much of it to give. And then we get to verses 22 and 23 where he really like starts to, like for this, for this community, it would be very weird. So, so life upending where he then goes and says, he talks about the indispensability of the weaker and the less honorable parts. He's saying all of you who are underperforming, I want to find out what's going on with you. I don't just want to cut you off. No, it's those of us who are sick who need the doctor. And so we think about those people in our communities, in our churches, in our, in our businesses. Like it's the student who's not doing well. It's the worker who's not doing And again, this is not to say, this is not to say that people don't need to, you know, be drawn to requirements about how they work and perform and so forth. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the way shame wants to work its way into the very fabric of what we are doing vocationally in the world because we are pushing against a system, not just individual things within me. Those are, th- those are true, and they are in resonant cons- concert with the evil that's in the world that's trying to devour everything. And so there is this paradox of Paul saying, first, in this community, you do not self-condemn, you do not condemn the other, and in fact, we pay a lot of extra attention to those who are more vulnerable. And this then leads to this notion of how, when he talks about the body, this power of embodiment, that, and when he, when he talks about how, like, the antithesis of shame is this way of love, but I'm going to show you a greater way. And this greater way is an embodied way at the same time. This is why he's talking about embodied. Like shame just isn't this abstraction. It is a thing that is lived out in the words that I speak, in the things I do with my body, in the places I go and don't go, all these kinds of things. And the power of embodiment So paying attention to that is important. Honoring the body and the things that we do or don't do with our bodies is hugely important in ways that the Babylonians and the Romans would have just seen as dispensable. And then Paul makes the turn in which he really starts to counter evil's work of shame with this entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And it's become, it's, it's such a beautiful, most of it is, most of it is poetry as it turns out, which if we were to read the Greek, it would be, it would be mostly poetry. So it's not just prose. It's not just like a list of facts, but what he's really doing is getting us to this place. So I think it's really interesting and powerful that his invitation for us to consider love, he doesn't write about it. He poetically brings us into it. Right, he's going to talk about beauty by even even the way he he's going to write like 
I think you get like like we're going right. to use poetry to describe the beauty that we're trying to get at. The first three verses, Paul writes about what love is not. What love is not. Like if I were if I were a clanging symbol, if I were all these things, but I don't have love. If I if I if I did all these good things but I don't do it lovingly. And here's where we see that what Paul is really doing, even though he uses love as a noun, he's really talking about love as an adverb. Am I doing something lovingly? In this sense, love doesn't exist in the world as a standalone thing. There are only loving acts, loving thoughts, loving intentions. Love only, it doesn't exist independently. It exists as an act that is relationally mediated. Always. It's a movement toward another. Love is always involves a movement of me toward someone. Evil wants to use shame to stop that movement. And then Paul gets to verses four through seven and he starts to talk about what love actually is. And it's all, and, and in, in those verses, when we see what love is, what it means for us to act lovingly, we really get to see the picture that, oh, Life is about the struggle between love and shame in any given moment. Any moment where we have some kind of pause, any given moment where we have some something of distress that comes up, any given moment where I'm standing at the counter of the bakery and something happens. Shame in that moment. Evil is trying to use shame to dominate love. Evil is trying to use shame to push love to the margin. And so it's a struggle. But it is a struggle that eventually moves us. If we, we reverses 8 through 13, we move further and f- closer and closer to this notion that eventually love brings us to this place where we will eventually know even as we are known. And to be known lovingly, not known just, oh, God, I'm known by God. And as a result, like he's going to ask me to leave his heaven. No, I'm known and invited in despite what is true. And what we are saying is that when we practice love long enough and deeply enough, we become the kind of person who also knows. We know another in the same way that we've been known. I'm going to know you. And what that means is I don't just know about you. I don't know facts about you. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to grade your paper. I'm here to give you the experience of being known and loved by me. That's what it means for me to know. It is not, uh, for me to know is not for me to know as our first parents wanted to know by taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by knowing everything that I can know, everything that can be known in order for me to become Elohim, one of the gods. Rather, I'm being known in order to know others in that same way, not to dominate them, but to enable them to become who they were also most lovingly made to become which in terms of leadership in our places of vocation, that's what we're doing. No matter what it is, or if we're creating software with other people, I want to do whatever it is that I can do that enables you to become the person that is the most flourishing version of you. And I want to give you the opportunity to be known by me so that where shame lurks in your life in ways that are you know, keeping you from even doing your work here in this space, well, I want to give you the opportunity to be known by me such that we can pull that into the light 
and then disallow shame from having that kind of authority for you. And to be known means that I'm going to gaze at Jesus' gaze because these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, this notion that faith is a trusting relationship, and I'm going to trust his gaze, and in that trusting, faithful relationship, over enough time, this, through neuroplastic reinforcement, creates the possibility in me to anticipate a future based on these moments of gazing, and that anticipated future is one that is hopeful. These three remain, faith, hope, and hope, is what grounds me in the present moment that is informed by God's future, as N.T. Wright would say, God's future coming forward into our present moment. I can be hopeful because of what I see that's coming in the future. That hope generates my willingness, even in my suffering, to persevere, that builds character, that reinforces hope, that sits me in the middle of this relationship with God that circles back around, that enables me to once again be present in my suffering and to continue to persevere. And it just becomes this cycle, this living cycle. Suffering, perseverance, character, hope, glory. Back to suffering and so forth and so on. And leaving no room for shame because this hope does not put us to shame in all this is what it means for us to be loved and then to know as even, even as we are known. Love being the greatest that remains under all these circumstances. And so we see how shame is mitigated and then eliminated by gazing at Jesus, which enables us to manufacture hope in this cycle that is strengthened. And so we talk then about, in the book, we talk about, and, and, and how Henry eventually came to talk about how we renew our vocational mind. The part of me I'm not just, again, I'm not just trying to know all this stuff to feel better about myself so that I can be, you know, I'm I'm happier when I'm on vacation. It is something that really invites me to reimagine and expand that imagination into what am I doing in the places, in the domains that I occupy, including the places that I work. We talk about how the prefrontal cortex in the brain is like the leader of the brain. And it is the place where we work and move with intention, on purpose, toward integration, toward becoming whole, even as our Father in heaven is also whole. Leaders are intended to do this. There are ways then in which, as leaders, if we are going to lead through vulnerability, that vulnerability creates the possibility of vulnerability in the people that we're leading, which creates the opportunity for the light to come to the places where shame in their stories is preventing them from taking the proper risks that they would want to take in that educational institution, in that company, in that church where you occupy a leadership role. And where what we're really doing is also in the very same way that Jesus did in all the villages that he visited is he's really giving people the opportunity for healing. Who would have thought that running a law practice is really creating an opportunity for the people, not just that you, not just your clients, but the people who work there. It creates the opportunity for those fellow attorneys to find healing because of the work that they're doing. Who would have thought that if I'm going to work at a school, that the school itself becomes an opportunity to find healing? You know, in our, in the work that we do with our practice, you know, we often talk about and reinforce this notion that 
we want the people who come and work in our practice to really feel as if they are as well cared for as the patients that they're taking care of. Yeah. And we intend to make sure that to the degree that if, that that whatever's going on in their life, how, whatever's happening as far as their work is concerned, you know, we're not we're not you know we're not doing marriage therapy with them, but to the degree that they are feeling things, sensing things where shame wants to show up in their work, we want our practice to be a place where they can name that in order for them to know healing and therefore greater comfort and confidence and where the kingdom of God shows up in even greater ways because they're now not burning energy trying to manage that shame in the process. And so this paradox of vulnerability where we, you know, kind of coming full circle back to where we began, this notion that in our vulnerability, even in our places where we do work, mirrors and extends Good Friday. Good Friday that is the ultimate expression of any moment in human history of vulnerability that eventually leads to Jesus' death, but that eventually leads to resurrection and ascension. And we really do believe that as we are living more vulnerably, wisely in the context of our vocational spaces, that we become goodness and beauty such that the work that is actually done is given the greater opportunity to become goodness and beauty and light and salt, even in those spaces that the work itself is transformed, not just the personal lives of the people who work there. And in so doing, with all of this, uh, we come back to say, we want to be uh, storytellers that tell the gospel story along with God. We want to tell that story. We talked in the last episode about how it is that we learn what the story is and how the story is told in our primal developmental places, in our family, in our church, in our schools. And at the end of the day, we want to ask the question, what story will our soul tell? What story is it telling at any given moment? And uh, the beauty of the gospel is that, you know, it doesn't take much. You look around and say like, gosh, the story that we're listening, being told around is not a very pleasant one. Uh, But the gospel comes and says, that's not the end of the story. The gospel comes and says that it is the very beginning of the story as it really is. And it's one of beauty and goodness and hope. And that's really good news. That is good news. I keep going back to this, this idea of the bakery counter the the mm-hmm. moments you know mm-hmm. and and how we can bring goodness and beauty into those moments right you know a lot of times we you know I, I, may, I shouldn't say we a lot of times i will, i think that you know I, I need to be doing bigger things and affecting things in mm-hmm. a bigger way when and when in reality it's those moments that are the most important yeah 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 yeah, yeah. right on do you have an application for us today kurt yeah so would love you, our listeners, this week uh, to just reflect, and as we often do, not just to reflect, not just to think in the privacy of your own mind, but to write, write out, write out how shame has attempted to control the narrative of your vocational life. Now, for some, this is the first time you're even, like, thinking about this. 
but bear in mind that your vocational life, the things that we do often for a living, but the, you know, we're not, not all of our vocational, all, it's not all about what we get paid to do. It's we're being spouses, we're being parents, we're being sons and daughters and friends, right? We have these different domains of our calling to bear and restore the image of God. But where has shame attempted to control the narrative of those systems for us? And how does it present itself as self-condemnation or then other condemnation, like what Paul is essentially writing about in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, this notion of like, that's in this body, we don't do that. That's not what we do. It reflects especially on what it means for us to honor those parts of us that seem to be less than. The parts of us that we would not like, no, like, I want to get rid of those parts. And where do you see yourself then having a hard time honoring parts that in any of these systems also feel less than, as it were? And then stretching it out a little bit more, how would you see your place of work being revitalized by envisioning it through the lens that we've described in this episode? And with whom could you begin to speak to explore how your place of work can become itself one of these outposts of beauty and goodness by seeing it as a place where what you are actually doing is developing a community of faith, hope, and love in that context? This is work that we call it work for a reason. It takes effort. This is, you know, we'll hear this podcast. We're like, oh, you, you might, you might think, oh, those might be inspirational ideas. You might, you might think, you might think that. But these are ideas that require work if they're going to be embodied, because they aren't going to be just thought into being. They have to be acted, prayed deeply, immersed in the scriptures, immersed in spiritual practices that don't allow evil to have a foothold. Because uh, if you take any of this seriously, evil will take you, as we said, take you that much more seriously and will plan on going toe-to-toe with you. And so we can't be surprised at that. But that's our uh, application for today and hope that you all find that in, in that to be something that could be helpful. Thank you, Kurt. This really concludes our journey through the soul of shame. However, next week we will be coming to you with taking your questions. So we open it up to ask us anything you would like to know about this season. Especially where you got that shirt. Where Kurt got that shirt. That's exactly right. Uh, Where you got that shirt. Inquiring minds want to know. And so what you can do is you can email us at beingknownpodcast at icloud.com. Amy decided to make it the most confusing email address uh, in the world so that it would make it just as difficult as possible. So I'll tell you, tell you that again. It is beingknownpodcast at icloud.com. Ask us your questions. They can be, uh, they don't have to be totally serious all the time. You can ask us some fun questions or whatever, and we'll be back to answer those for you next week. So Kurt, thanks for this season. It's been fantastic. Thanks for all your work with this, with this book that you wrote years ago and for bringing your work, uh, every week as you have, um, here to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to be with you. You too. And, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, Amy's going to be joining us in just a couple seconds. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. 
Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.